In 2014, Stephen was working as a commercial tire fitter in Swansea. This is where I went to university, actually, in Swansea. And he was working there. Then suddenly, he felt a crippling headache. Here is how Stephen remembers that day. He says, it was the king of headaches. And he felt like someone was taking six-inch nails, hammering them into my head and pulling them out one by one. How I finished that job, I'll never know. But I managed to drive back home. And then the next morning, I woke up totally blind. Doctors later diagnosed Stephen with age-related macular degeneration. AMD. You can ask brother all about these things, or brother Samuel. Maybe they might know. Explain better. But I'm told it is an eye condition that affects the central part of your retina, the bit responsible for helping us see clearly. That's what happened. It degenerated, and he woke up completely blind. Stephen says the early days of his blindness were horrific. I had to learn to wash, cook, Chef, and walk the streets. It was like being reborn. I had to rely on others, but I felt I was really alone. I lost my license, my career, and told my wife that she should leave me, and really, she's better off marrying someone else. It put me in a seriously dark place. I eat alcohol and stop mixing with anyone in the community. I felt trapped. Every day, I would cry many times because I couldn't see the spoon to steer my tea or I spilled the water for, for it. My aim in life was gone, Stephen says, but I knew that I was still a human being. Well, this morning we are talking about blindness. And not the kind of blindness that Stephen suffers from, but the one that all of us are born with. That is spiritual blindness. You see, when the Bible talks about how we are as human beings, it uses many different images to communicate our human condition. Sometimes it says we are like sheep that have run away from their shepherd. We know that from Isaiah, and it? it says, Oh, Isaiah 53, verse 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So it sometimes pictures us as like sheep that have run away from their shepherd. Sometimes the Bible likens our spiritual condition to physical sickness in general. Paralyzing physical sickness. So when we, Jesus was attending Levi's party in Mark chapter 2, you remember what he said to the Pharisees there? He said this. Uh, he said the sick. He says, and Jesus in Mark chapter 8, uh, he says in Mark chapter 2, verse 17 to 18, he says this. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, well, that's the wrong passage actually I'm looking at there. But anyway, you remember the passage where he says, it's not the well people who need a doctor. I, it's the sick. I came to call sinners, not the righteous. You can look it up in Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 17. Okay, and sometimes 
That's just another image. So sickness is one image. There are many images, actually. It's a good study in your own time just to find out how the Bible describes people. You find that sometimes it's because of sheep. Sometimes it says we are like people who are owned by him. Uh, the ox knows his owner, uh, and the donkey knows his master. But my people do not know me. So they are, we are like people who are, we are, not, we, we are like donkeys that are not doing their job. So that's another image. Sometimes the Bible describes human beings as living in a state of blindness or darkness. We are the spiritual equivalent of Stephen. And there are actually many passages to this, but the one probably you're familiar with is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, isn't it? Where Paul says, The God of this world has blinded the hearts of minds of unbelievers. So the Bible is clear that since sin entered in our world, before sin entered, we could see everything. We could see ourselves, we could see God, we could enjoy, we could enjoy life. We, were, we had spiritual sight, right? But when sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, it left us completely spiritually blind. We are born like that. None of us can see the beauty of God. None of us enjoy actually life as God intended. We think we do, but actually we don't, because we are born spiritually blind. And just as Stephen's life was filled with emptiness and hopelessness, remember how we described that life when he became blind? Well, a spiritual blindness has left us joyless and hopeless. But there's a huge difference between Stephen being blind and us, right? Stephen's physical blindness came onto him, didn't it? He became blind one day. Right? That's important. We are born spiritually blind. That's why important. Why? Because Stephen can tell that something has gone wrong. Because he can remember a life and he knows now that it's not the way it should be. But we cannot tell something is wrong with us because we are born spiritually blind. Imagine a planet in a galaxy far, far away, right? Where everyone is born physically blind. Everyone. And everything on that planet is done to cut off that blindness. That's all they have known. Blindness. That is who we are spiritually as human beings on this planet. We are not just spiritually blind. Every human being is born blind to their blindness. In fact, <laughs> if we try to tell them that, they will not be very happy. Because in the planet far, far away, everybody is blind. You go there trying to tell them that it's a better way, they're not going to listen to you. I think they'll put you to death for telling them to turn and that there's a better way. That's a thought, isn't it? I think they would do that. Well, we are spiritually blind. We are like that planet. That's the spiritual situation on earth. We are blind. We are not only blind, we are blind to our blindness. We don't know better. But the good news of the Bible is that God has come in Jesus to this planet of the spiritually blind to give us spiritual sight so that we can be restored to who God created us to be. In fact, even better, we could see who God is. We could enjoy life with God. We could see ourselves as we truly are. He's come to give us spiritual sight. And we see the story of Jesus in Mark. We've been going through Mark verse by verse. This is the 58th sermon in Mark. And last time we were in Mark, two weeks ago, I think probably three weeks ago, we left Jesus in the boat on the way to Bethsaida. You may remember that. And Bethsaida is north of the Sea of Galilee. That's where he's going. Uh, today we are picking up. We're in the boat, you know, worrying about bread and all that. You, rem- you might remember. But now 
Jesus has arrived in Mark chapter 8, verse 22 in Bethsaida. And uh, what is about to happen here in verse 22 to verse 26 is that people are going to bring a blind man to Jesus for healing. And what Jesus does here teaches us a great truth. An important truth. It's just one point we need to remember. This miracle teaches us that Jesus gives spiritual sight to the spiritual through the spiritually blind, through the light of his resurrection. Now, I know you don't see the resurrection there, and you're wondering where you got this from. At least you can probably agree with the first bit, but you are, you are skeptical about the second bit. Well, my plan is to show you from this scripture how I got there. Jesus gives spiritual sight to the spiritually blind through the light of his resurrection. Look with me at verse 22. We're just going to walk through this story and to learn that truth. Look at verse 22. So Jesus and Co are in Bethsaida, and it probably does not take long before the people bring the blind man to Jesus. We read in verse 22. Jesus is so well known. Everybody wants a Jesus selfie, and of course they've come to bring, bring this blind man to, so that Jesus can heal him. Let's read in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man, and begged him to touch him. Now, we should just note one thing there, is that the, the locals have brought this blind man to Jesus, right? And they wanted us to heal him. Now, these locals are not followers of Jesus. But they are there that Jesus has the power to make their friends see, and they are begging Jesus to do it. We should note that. The reason we should note that is that the Bible here is presenting for us a realistic view of human beings. It never talks people down, and it never talks them up. The Bible makes it clear that we are fallen beings made in the very image of God. And this image of God is being displayed in these residents of Bethsaida. It's a wonderful thing they are doing for their friend. These people are not believers, but they care about their friend. And they're showing a great sense of community. There's a blind man around. Jesus can help him. Let's go to, to Jesus to help this man. But we have to ask ourselves, why do people who do not know Jesus behave like this? Why are they so good sometimes? I know. I, most of the wonderful people I know, I have to say, are non-believers. The person doing the loan around this church is a wonderful guy, Alfie. Very wonderful guy. But he's not a Christian. But what, he's got that goodness in him, hasn't he? What is that, what is that goodness... Alfie has, not to mention him out, but he's a, such a wonderful guy. Where does he come from? I hope he doesn't listen to the sermon. But where does, he, where does he come from, right? Where does that goodness come from? Well, where it comes from is that God made us in his image. You see, God is a community of the three in one. At the core of God is a relationship of the three in one. God the Father. God the Son, God the Spirit. God has existed like that in the community. Always existed like that. And as creatures, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that we are made in His image. So He made us the capacity of being relational beings. We have this driving us to be a community. No man is an island, right? And that's why we see even those people have fallen from God's grace... They still long to live in caring relationship with each other. They still want to be taken care of and taken care of others. 
Mothers still love their children because they are imaging, even though they are not converted, they are imaging God's image. They are living out the image that God created them with. And we should note this because, you see, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should actively recognize and thank God why his image is being displayed in our non-Christian friends and colleagues. You should thank God when non-believers are wonderful. You should remind you that God is wonderful. And you should thank God for that. At the same time, we see that in these friends of the blind man, like all human beings, they are spiritually blind. And they are rebellious against God. We see the rebellion here, actually, by the way. Why do I say that? Well, these people are not coming to Jesus because they see who Jesus really is. They are only coming to Jesus because they accept him to do a wonderful miracle. They cannot see that God is standing in front of them. That he can give them what they really need, spiritual sight. No. All they want is to use Jesus as a miracle machine. They are blind to who Jesus really is. They are spiritually blind. And this reminds us that at the heart of human existence, there is this self-contradiction in all of us. We are made in the image of God, but because we have sinned, we become spiritually blind. So all human beings now, by nature, exhibit the good and the evil. The good and the evil. That's what the Bible teaches us. And we can see it here. And it's important for us to realize that it's not just a blind man who needs his eyes opened. Right? We all do. But we are not begging Jesus to heal our blindness. Why? Because no human being wants to. Why? Because we live in the planet far, far away. We are blind to our blindness. The people of Bethesda are blind to their true blindness. So we should note that. So they are brought the man to Jesus. And you remember this miracle is similar to what happened at Decapolis. Just like in the Decapolis, Jesus takes the man and leads him out of town. Let's read verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. I just want to pause there for a minute. Let's just picture the scene. They brought this man. Jesus takes his hand and is now leading him out of town. And he's holding his hand, right? As they are going. Just picture that. What are you seeing there? I'm seeing God the Son who made everything. Who made that man. Taking this blind man by the hand. He's saying to this blind man, I am taking on myself the burden of your blindness. You are now my problem. He's left the people behind. He's saying, he's now my problem now. I accept you want me to heal him. So he's my problem now. And that's a wonderful picture of Jesus, isn't it? Because what Jesus does here shows us of his love, his compassion, his care for us. But he also says to me that if I bring myself, if I come to Jesus, if I, if, if I surrender to Jesus in my spiritual blindness, he will lead me there eventually to make me see clearly. That's what he says to all human beings. But he also says to me, if I'm a Christian already, Jesus is already holding me by the hand. My problem has become his problem. That's an image of a father with the son. As Jesus leads that man out of Bethesda. And maybe you are battling some illness uh, this, this morning. Or perhaps you have a relationship at home that is difficult. Maybe at work. Or perhaps it's a difficult relationship in the life of this church. Or wherever you are, perhaps it's something not quite right, fractured there. You have a huge problem. And in the middle of those problems, you're wondering, am I alone in this problem? Is there any purpose to my struggle? 
And sometimes when you look at your problem, you feel alone, isn't it? You feel like Stephen felt in his blindness. Alone, helpless. You feel even that God has withdrawn from you, like one man said to us as we were sharing the good news yesterday. Well, if you are trusting in Jesus, this passage is saying to you, Jesus is holding your hand. He is saying to you, feel my hand. I am with you. I am guiding you. Trust me in on this. Trust me on this. And you can trust Jesus because, you see, if you know Jesus, he has already done something even worse than whatever physical problem you have. He has transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, Christ himself, of course. God has transferred you from the domain of darkness into his kingdom of light. Jesus has done the most difficult thing, which is he's shown you that you're blind, and he's worked in your life to recognize that blindness and has given you spiritual sight. So, of course, he can take care of any problems that you have. He can do that. And you can trust him with that problem. So let's rejoin Jesus, right? He has taken the man aside. Now, <laughs> what we're about to, to see completely takes us by surprise, doesn't it? Uh, it? It took me by surprise when I read it. Let's read verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? I mean, what is going on here? I mean, what is this all spitting in a man's eyes? You know, I have no idea why Jesus is spitting in this man's eyes. I don't know. Uh, Maybe you can tell me afterwards, right? But I know that Jesus obviously knows what he's doing. But as I thought about Jesus spitting in this man's eyes, it taught me one thing. It taught me that Jesus sometimes does his work in weird ways, right? That's an application I got from this. Uh, you can take yours. That's what I got from this. Jesus sometimes works in weird ways. And so just because it looks weird does not mean it's not from Jesus. What we need to do is to measure what, whatever weird thing we're thinking God is doing against his very word of God. And if it doesn't contradict his word, then of course it's weird, but we must trust him. But he also told me the other thing. All my life I'm trying to figure out that I, I'm, I try to think sometimes that I've got Jesus all figured out. Unless I understand what Jesus is doing, it's difficult for me to trust him on it. But this is telling us that the words of God are sometimes mysterious to us. We are not Jesus. We can't always have an explanation for everything. But we must trust the very word of God. If Jesus says it, if the Bible tells me so, I believe it. And of course, as Anselm reminded us, that I believe in order that I may understand. That's quite an important point. doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue understanding. We should. But we should pursue faith in Jesus so that through that we can have, our eyes can be opened so we can see things clearly. So that's weird, the spitting. But I think the other thing weird there, I think, is the question, isn't it? He says that when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Right? That's weird. Right? Because we're asking what is happening here. Uh, it sure does seem like the miracle has malfunctioned at the first attempt, doesn't it? The man's eyes are better than before. 
But he still can't make sense of the world. That's obvious. And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees. And to make matters worse, Jesus, in verse 23, asked for the man's opinion. Do you see anything? That's how we found out what's going on in verse 24. It's weird. It is strange, isn't it? And we have to admit, this is not the Jesus we have met so far. And as I read this, I couldn't help but ask, is Jesus having a bad day at the office? Well, if he is, it doesn't take long, does it? Verse 25. Let's look at verse 25 to 26. Then Jesus laid his hands, his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. So we know the man now is totally healed, and, but we also recognize that this is the only healing in all of the scriptures where Jesus heals a man gradually. And of course, Mark has included it, not because Jesus is having a bad day at the office. He never has a bad day at the office. He's not. Jesus has done this miracle as a living parable and prophecy, this is important, of the faith of his disciples. We understand the context, that's why brother all read that context. You see, the disciples' spiritual blindness is about to get a first touch. A first touch. Just a first touch. You see, on the way to Bethesda two weeks, two weeks ago, Jesus asked his disciples about the condition of their hearts. He challenged them to have true faith in him. Let's just read Mark 8, verse 17 to 18 there on top to remind yourself. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? He's asking, are you spiritually blind? And having ears, do you not hear? Right? They are worrying. They were worrying about bread, weren't they? And Jesus is saying they are worried about bread, sure that they did not have true faith in him. They were spiritually blind. Even though they are in the boat with Jesus, they still are spiritually blind. That's important. But this evening, we are going to see in verse 27 to verse 30, that their eyes will begin to open. Peter will confess Jesus as the Christ. Let's read verse 29 there, just skipping over the verses we're looking at. Verse 29, we'll, we'll see this this evening. It says this, And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. But even after that, Peter is rebuked by Jesus for trying to stop the work of Jesus because he still doesn't really see who Jesus is, really. He still doesn't understand the work of Jesus. So we, Brother Ola read this for us in verse 32 to verse 33. He said, Jesus says this in verse 32. And he, and he, that is Jesus, said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So we might say, what's going, what's going to happen to the disciples that they'll get a first touch, they'll see a bit more, but they'll still be out of spiritual focus, right? They're still going to see spiritually men walking as trees. 
right? They only receive spiritual sight when they get a second touch. And the second touch we saw last week, didn't we, on, on Resurrection Sunday, was a touch of the resurrection. They then see Jesus has died, has risen from the dead. They can now believe Jesus is the Christ. Why? As we see this evening, they can believe what you need to believe to have true faith in Jesus is that Jesus died, was buried, and rose for your justification, as Paul says. So this gradual miracle of the blind man prophesies that the disciples are about to be enlightened about who Jesus is as his real Philippi. And it is only when Jesus rises from the dead that they'll move from partial belief to full belief, from escaping darkness to living in the resurrection light of Christ. And this brings us to the meaning of this miracle. This miracle teaches us that Jesus gives spiritual sight to the spiritually blind through the light of his resurrection. So you now understand the point, hopefully. And we have spiritual sight, which is faith, in Jesus by believing that Jesus has died for our sins and risen from the dead to give us new life with him. Jesus gives sight to the blind through the light of his resurrection. So that's the truth we've learned this morning. But not so before we finish, not even immediately, what does this mean for all of us here in Bexley? I just want to give you three quick applications from this text, what this text teaches us. First of all, it teaches us all human beings are not just born spiritually blind, as I've said. We are born to a, we are blind to our darkness. We cannot see that we are sinners. So the first thing God does before he opens our eyes to see his truth is to make understand that we are blind and need Jesus in our lives. And so the first application for each one of us here this, this morning is this. Do you accept that you are born cut off from the life of God? Do you accept that apart from Jesus, you cannot see God spiritually? Do you accept that's how you came into this world, spiritually blind? Because you see, until you believe that you live on the planet of the spiritually blind, until you accept that is your natural condition, you are still in darkness. You are still blind. Still cut off from the life of God. Still under the wrath of God. There can be no salvation for you until you accept that first. That's the first truth we learn. The second application we learn from this is this. The gradual healing of this blind man tells us that coming to faith in Jesus is sometimes a gradual process of first and second touches. Beloved, don't miss this point. It's so vital. God transfers us into his kingdom instantaneously. Of course he does. He, de- he declares us righteous in the moment. Conversion is instant. But the process of coming to conversion can take years, months, first and second touches. That's important. It may start with the first touch of God opening our eyes to become interested in Jesus as a person and his work. We start feeling drawn to reading our Bibles more. Sometimes we start attending the church more regularly than we used to. We start asking insightful questions. We are praying more to God. We want to know more about God. We've received the first touch. We can see Jesus is... We begin to see who he is, aren't we? We are beginning to see as Peter will begin to see. God is doing what there. He's enlightening us. 
He's opening our eyes. God is warming our hearts to things of God. And sometimes in those moments, we begin to understand we are sinners. We may even start weeping for how terrible our sins are. We may even start talking to God about our sin. We may even sometimes decide to become church members and be baptized and all sorts of wonderful things that religious people do. We, we may even get in the boat with Jesus. We may do all of these things without full and complete and true faith in Jesus. Because we haven't seen him yet as a crucified and risen Lord, not of the world, but for me. We may do these things out of feeling rather than genuine repentance. In short, we may show all the external signs of being in the boat and having all these wonderful fuzzy feelings and all sorts of things, and yet we are not truly born again. But those experiences are not being wasted. It's just part of the post of God enlightening your heart. We simply have a deep interest in Jesus, but have not yet fully surrendered to the will of God. We must understand, beloved, true conversion involves not surrendering to Jesus as Savior and as Lord together. You must accept him as your dead, buried, and risen Savior and surrender to him. But if we haven't come to that position, then we're just enlightened. Our hearts have not truly been won for Christ. And many people in churches are in this position. They have received the first touch. They haven't received the second touch of true conversion. Mark has not woven these things by accident. This is how they are. Because he's already given us the parable of the soul. So everything I've just said is just what I talked about when I preached the parable of the soul. We may be the first, second, third soil, but not the fourth soil. You know about Jesus, but you haven't yet truly been converted because true conversion, this is important, results in putting on a new nature, living lives that have truly been transformed. It is the life of the disciples after the resurrection, not before the resurrection. And of course, as we grow in Jesus, the Bible says the Spirit of God himself testifies with your spirit that you are indeed God's child. We must not be afraid of these truths, or it should not send us into deep panic. Because the Holy Spirit, if you're truly converted, will witness your heart that you are being changed. You are loving Jesus. You are growing to know him. Yes, you are stumbling in places, but you are becoming more like him. But each one of us should still ask ourselves this question. Am I better than Judas? Or am I better at all than the disciples are at this stage? That's the question this miracle poses, isn't it? You have some interesting things of Jesus, but are you really trusting in Jesus? That's the question. Do you have true faith? And I encourage you not to leave this place today without asking yourself that question. So the, the final thing that this miracle teaches us is that if you are a true follower of Jesus, this is the third thing, this passage should encourage you to bring people to Jesus so that Jesus can open their spiritual eyes. The people of Bethesda bring a blind man to Jesus and they beg Jesus. And we see God the Son listen to their cry by healing him. Beloved, if you are a follower of Jesus, one more encouragement do you need to keep praying earnestly and patiently to Jesus to save people you love. 
If Jesus can listen to the cries of those who hated him while on earth, what more you who has come to true faith in Jesus, who has Jesus as your great high priest? You have access to him. So pray for children who are not converted. Pray for spouses that do not know Jesus. Pray for your neighbors. Bring them to Jesus. Of course, share the gospel with them. That's part of bringing them to Jesus. But earnestly beg Jesus to touch their eyes. Go to him with boldness. Keep pleading to Jesus to save your life. And also, beloved, go to him patiently. This miracle reminds us that God may be enlightening that person in your life without you knowing. It works both ways, doesn't it? It may be enlightening someone who you completely ruled out that they will never come to faith. How do you know? But you may be, we do that sometimes, don't we? We learned in the parable of the secret growing seed that God often works in ways we cannot see. Most conversions take long periods of time. Praying for mother might take many years, but keep begging for Jesus to bring her to faith in Christ. This passage is encouraging you to do that. Jesus did not bring disciples to full and complete faith immediately. Surely that's a lesson for us. He gradually lifted their blindness. And as a church, we must remember that as we pray for people to be changed, to be converted. Let us pray fervently and patiently. Well, may God help all of us to keep looking to Jesus who gives spiritual sight to the spiritually blind through the light of his resurrection. Amen.